Thank you, Joanne. I'm going to invite all of you to take your Bibles and turn to the second book of the Bible, to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 24. We'll be reading uh, the first eight verses as we continue our series on covenant theology. Uh, Tonight we are going to consider what is commonly known as the Mosaic Covenant. Uh, You might be wondering why we're skipping over what is called the Abrahamic Covenant, which is found in um, Genesis 12 and 15. Uh, The Abrahamic Covenant is um, a further defining of the covenant of grace that we looked at a few weeks ago in in Genesis 3. Uh, The reason we're not going to look at the Abrahamic Covenant is because we we basically covered that um, a few months ago, back in January, when we went through the five solas of the Reformation. When we specifically looked at sola fide, uh, we covered the Abrahamic Covenant then. So if you're a little unclear on what the Abrahamic Covenant is, you can go back and find the, the sermon on sola fide uh, in January, and we cover uh, that covenant there. But tonight is the Mosaic Covenant, Exodus 24, uh, beginning at verse 1. Then he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules, and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of a mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Many people start... um, a read through the Bible program in January with great excitement and great determination to read all 66 books of the Bible in one year. And it goes pretty well at first for most of us. Um, Genesis is filled with, with very interesting and very engaging narrative. There's the creation account, there's the flood, there's the Tower of Babel. Uh, Abraham almost sacrifices his own son. There's the whole Joseph narrative. And so Genesis is, is very engaging. And so we're going really well at this point. We get to Exodus, and, and Exodus is also very engaging, at least the first half. You have the ten plagues. You have the crossing of the Red Sea. You have the people grumbling and, and complaining about a lack of food and water. You have the Ten Commandments. But then it starts to get bogged down. last half of Exodus contains... Um, whole lot of somewhat obscure laws. There's also this whole section about the specifics of the tabernacle. And then you get into Leviticus. And if you've read Leviticus, you know that it really starts to go south at that point. More laws, more regulations, more stipulations about all kinds of different offerings. 
Numbers has some pretty interesting stories, but there are a lot of laws there. And when you get to Deuteronomy, that has even more laws. Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy have been the graveyard for a lot of people's Bible reading programs. And you might be tempted to ask yourself, why is all this here? Why why did God have all of these laws written down for all of his people to read down through the centuries? And we're still reading them. 3,000 years later, do they have any significance? This Genesis through Deuteronomy is 20% of your Bible. All those laws, all those regulations, all those feasts and festivals, all those sacrifices, all those commands, do they have any relevance and significance for us living now after the coming of Jesus? I would submit to you that this is why it's so important that we try to understand the Mosaic Covenant. And I promise you this, when you come to understand the meaning and the significance of the Mosaic Covenant, the gospel really, truly comes alive. Because it reminds us of what our Savior has done for us that, that no one else has ever been able to do. And so this is a, this is a great covenant. I, I, I pray that you're encouraged by this tonight. I pray that you're strengthened by this tonight. I pray that you leave here rejoicing that, that you are no longer under a, a covenant of works. That God is not saying, you need to give me perfect obedience or you're going to go to hell. I pray that we all rejoice tonight that we see Jesus in the Mosaic Covenant. So there are two questions we're going to answer Two questions we've been asking and answering throughout this series. First of all, what is the Mosaic Covenant? And secondly, how does the Mosaic Covenant apply to me? What is it and what is its relevance to me? Now there are certainly other passages that that we could consider in regard to understanding the Mosaic Covenant, but I think Exodus 24 is a very good one that that will help us arrive at a, a good understanding of what's going on here. Uh, First of all, I I need to give you all a little historical background. Um, In the ancient Near East, nations would often enter into covenants with each other. And, And typically there would be one of the nations that would be more powerful and more greater than the other nation. So typically when two nations would enter into a covenant, you would have the greater nation and you would have the lesser nation. Maybe the, the more powerful nation would conquer a less powerful nation. Or, or maybe a more powerful nation would bring a less powerful nation under their protection. And, and when those two nations would enter into a covenant with one another, that covenant would often, almost always, include four things. And all of this is background to the Mosaic Covenant. First of all, in ancient Near East covenants, there was always a historical prologue. In other words, the the greater nation would say to the lesser nation, here are all the things that we've done for you. And they would list those things. Secondly, the conditions of the covenant would also be laid out. And so, for example, the greater nation would say to the lesser nation, okay, this is what you must now do. Maybe it would be this is how we expect you to behave or these are the taxes we expect you to pay. But there would be certain conditions that would be placed upon the lesser nation. So you'd have a historical prologue. You'd have the conditions of the covenant. This is what you are now called to do. Third, you would have sanctions in the covenant. 
that the greater nation would say to the lesser nation, if you don't keep these conditions, if, if you don't do what you promise to do, here's what's going to happen to you. And then fourth, there would also be an oath taken in this covenant. In other words, after the historical prologue, after the conditions, after the sanctions are all laid out, the king of the lesser nation would stand up and he would say, we will do all that you require us to do. We will obey all of these commands. Now, if you look at Exodus 24 and you look at the surrounding context, you will see that all four things of this covenant are present. It, it, it really takes the pattern of an ancient Near Eastern covenant ceremony. First of all, there's the historical prologue. In other words, there's a, there's a backstory to the Mosaic covenant. Go back if you have your Bible open and look at chapter 19 and notice verse 4. Exodus 19, verse 4. It says, you yourselves have seen, God is speaking here, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. And so God is saying, here's what I did for you. Israel, you were slaves for a really long time in Egypt, hundreds of years. I sent 10 plagues upon the Egyptians and I delivered you from that miserable slavery. That's the historical prologue. Look at also at chapter 20, verse two. We read this this morning. God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That's the historical prologue. God says, this is what I have done for you. You were slaves, but I rescued you. I delivered you. And so there is, first of all, this historical prologue. Secondly, there are conditions to this covenant. In light of the fact that that God had delivered his people, in light of the fact that he brought them out of Egypt, He is now going to call them to live in a certain way. That's that's the purpose of the Ten Commandments, right? God says, I'm the Lord your God. I brought you out of Egypt. Here is now how I want you to live. And, And then when you keep reading, if you were to keep reading chapter 21 of Exodus, chapter 22 of Exodus, chapter 23 of Exodus, you would see more conditions, more laws. There's laws about slavery. There's laws about restitution. There's laws about social justice. There's laws about the Sabbath. In other words, Exodus is filled with all of these laws about how God is calling his people to live. Do this. Don't do this. And so those are the conditions of the covenant. Third, there are also the sanctions of the covenant. This is where God says, if you obey me, I will do this for you. If you disobey me, I will do this. There are sanctions here. An example of this, again, if you have your Bible open, look at chapter 23. Verse 22, Exodus 23, verse 22. He says, but if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. In other words, if you obey me, this is how I will bless you. These are the sanctions. But there's a flip side to this. If you have your Bible, turn now to Leviticus chapter 26. Leviticus is right after Exodus, Leviticus chapter 26. And notice verse 14. Leviticus 26, 14 says, but if you will not listen to me and will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes and if your soul abhors my rules so that you will not do all of my commandments but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. 
I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease and fever that consume the eyes and make the heart ache, and you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you, and you shall flee when none pursues you. See that? If you don't obey my commands, God says, if you don't follow me, I will punish you. And so there's the historical prologue. This is what I've done for you. There are the conditions of the covenant. This is how I'm calling you to live. There are the sanctions of the covenant. Obey me and I will bless you. Disobey me and I will curse you. And then fourth, oaths are taken. Back to Exodus 24. And and notice the progression here. Look at verse 3 of Exodus 24. It says, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. In other words, Moses tells them the conditions of the covenant. Here's God's word. Here are God's rules. And what do the people do? Notice what it says next. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. See that? The people take the oath. The people say, we will do all of it. And so all four of these things are present in this section of Exodus. That's the Mosaic Covenant. But then notice The next day, Moses gets up and he builds an altar and and he builds 12 pillars. Children, the the altar here represents God. And the 12 pillars represent the 12 tribes. They represent God's people. And next, Moses takes half of the blood of animal sacrifices and he puts the blood in basins. And he takes the other half of blood and he throws it on the altar that he has just built. And, and then he reads the book of the covenant. In other words, he, he once again reads the conditions. He reads and tells Israel, this is how God expects you to live. And notice they say the same thing once again. Look at verse 7. All that the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient. And then Moses takes the blood he put in the basins. And what does he do? Children, what does he do with the blood? He throws it on the people. Now, now this, this whole scene is, is kind of really bizarre. It, it's really odd. Moses throws blood on an altar, and then he throws blood on, on God's people. And we say, what is this about? Maybe you've read this before, and you say, this is really strange. Well, very simply, it's pointing to the fact that, that both parties in this covenant are taking vows. Both God and Israel are taking vows. Israel is vowing to obey all of God's commands. All that you have spoken, Lord, we will do, and we will be obedient. And God is vowing to bless Israel if they will obey him. Now remember what I said to you, I guess it was three weeks ago when we started this series. I said to you that when God takes an oath, he will never go back on his promise. If God promises to do something, children, he will always do it, always. When God takes an oath, he will do what he says. And so in the covenant of redemption, when when God vows to save his people through the work of Christ, apart from any work or any merit of our own, that is a promise he will keep. You don't have to worry that that at the end of time, on the day of judgment, he's going to say, you know, I, I promised to save you through the work of Christ, but I've changed my mind. God will always fulfill his promise. But when man takes the oath, as we saw in the covenant of works, totally different story. 
Human beings can break their vows. Human beings can go back on their promises. And so the Mosaic Covenant is a covenant between God and his people where where God promises blessing upon the condition of obedience and curses on the condition of disobedience. And Israel, in this Mosaic Covenant, says, okay, we will do it. We will obey. Now, you might be asking a certain question right now, and the question is, why would God do this? Why would would God enter into a covenant with Israel, promising them blessings upon their perfect obedience when he knew that they would not be able to keep up their end of the deal? Why would God do this? It, It would be like you saying to your children tonight, after church, you go outside in the parking lot, and you say to your kids, all right, kids, here's what I want you to do. I want you standing here in this parking lot to jump up on top of the steeple of the church, 50 feet or whatever it is. I want you to stand in the parking lot and jump all the way to the top of the church. And if you do that, I'll give you $500. Now you know that they can't do that. There's no one, no human being, even the greatest long jumper, high jumper, whatever in the world cannot jump to the top of that steeple. Why would you make that deal with your kids when you knew that they couldn't do it? And and why would God do this? Why would God give his people all of these laws and all of these commands and promise them blessing upon their obedience? Well, Well, this is where it's important that we understand what's going on in the Mosaic Covenant. And and this is where the book of Deuteronomy is very helpful. So if you have your Bible, go to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28. At the end of the day, I want want you to see how the Mosaic Covenant serves the covenant of grace. And and we're going to get there eventually. But but I want you to see at the end of the day, I want you to see how this covenant serves the covenant of grace and points us to Christ. Deuteronomy 28, look at verse 1. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall, be, shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you, They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your barns and in all that you undertake. And he will bless you in the land that the Lord your God has given you. The Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself as he has sworn to you if you will keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Blessing after blessing after blessing for obedience. But if they did not obey, God promised something else. Look at verse 15. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God 
or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city. Cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall you be, shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in and cursed shall you be when you go out. See what, see what God is doing? If you obey me, if you're careful, notice the language, if you're careful to do all these commandments, I will bless you. But if you will not do that, I will curse you. Now it's important to understand here, the promised blessings and curses did not relate to salvation, but they related to their life in the earthly promised land. Life here on this earth. God wasn't saying, if you do this and this and this, I will give you eternal life. If you obey me, I will give you heaven. But if you will not obey me, I'll give you eternal punishment. That's not what God is saying. The Mosaic Covenant related to Israel's life in the land. As one author said, the people of Israel had to fulfill God's stipulations in this covenant to stay and prosper in the land that God had given them. But you say, well, that doesn't help answer the question. Why would God do this? Why would, why would he enter into a covenant that he knew that they would not be able to keep? Very simply, and, and this is where we see the covenant serving the covenant of grace, because these temporal blessings, these temporal curses were designed to make Israel realize their utter inability to offer God the perfect obedience that God's law demands. It was to make them realize that they could not earn God's blessings by what they do. Especially realize eventually that they could not earn God's eternal blessings through what they did. Very simply, the the purpose was to cause them to despair of their own righteousness. to, To look for righteousness outside of themselves. The the Mosaic Covenant was driving them to say, you know what, I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm a sinner. I can't offer God the perfect obedience that he demands. I need a Savior. Now this view of the Mosaic Covenant is supported by Scripture. First of all, the Bible teaches Israel's utter inability to keep the Mosaic Covenant. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, Moses says something very interesting. He says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed, and the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. It says it right there. You will not be able to keep the covenant. You won't be able to do it. Secondly, the Bible also teaches that the purpose of the Mosaic law was to drive us to Jesus. That the purpose of the Mosaic law is not to puff ourselves up and to say, I'm doing it. I'm obedient. I'm righteous. I'm earning my way. No, that's not the purpose. The Bible is clear that the Mosaic covenant was designed to drive us to Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, Paul says, the law, the Mosaic law was given or has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we might be justified by faith. The 
purpose of the law was not to make us feel like we're doing it. The purpose of the law is to drive us to our Savior so that we might be justified by faith alone. And, and third, the Bible also teaches that Jesus was born under the Mosaic Covenant in order to merit for us the perfect obedience that God's law demands. Galatians 4.4, you're familiar with these words. Paul says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. In other words, the Mosaic Covenant so that we might receive adoption as sons. And so I hope that you understand tonight and see tonight how the Mosaic Covenant serves the covenant of grace. Its goal was to cause people to see that their only hope is not their works. Their only hope is not their obedience. Their only hope is is not that they've been good people. Their only hope is Jesus, which is received by grace alone through faith alone. Now this is not some novel idea, novel concept of the Mosaic Covenant. This is actually a pretty standard view of the Mosaic Covenant that is held by many of our Reformed forefathers. For example, the, the two principal authors of the Heidelberg Catechism, Zachary Ursinus and Caspar Olivianus, both held this view of the Mosaic Covenant. This was also true of other noted Reformed theologians, John Owen, William Perkins, Francis Turretin, and others. And and so we see now what this covenant was. It was designed to to cause Israel to despair of their own righteousness and and to look outside of themselves for a savior, to, to realize that they could not do it, that they needed someone else to deliver them. Now this makes the second question pretty easy. How does the Mosaic covenant apply to me? Listen, if you want to spend eternity in heaven, you have to be perfectly righteous. 90% righteousness won't do it. 95% righteousness won't do it. 99.99% righteousness won't do it. God requires 100% righteousness. And the story of the Old Testament is that there was no one who was ever good enough. We read our Old Testaments and Abraham, Father Abraham, he failed. Moses, the great lawgiver, he failed. Joshua led God's people into the promised land, he failed. David, man after God's own heart, well, he was also an adulterer and a murderer, he failed. Daniel, Jonah, Isaiah, On and on we go. No one was ever good enough. And my story is the same. And your story is the same. Not one of us in this room tonight can possibly offer to God the perfect obedience that his law demands. And that's one of the purposes of God's law, to show us that we do not measure up. We do not measure up. Now, you can find somebody out there that you're at least outwardly better than, and so can I. But when we look into the mirror of God's law, we realize we're all failures. We all fall short. Lord's Day 44, the Heidelberg Catechism, an interesting question is asked. Since no one in this life can keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, 
Why does God want them preached so pointedly? We, we can't do it. We can't keep them. Why do we need to hear them? This is, this is similar to the question we asked earlier tonight about the Mosaic Covenant. God knew Israel would fail. God knew Israel couldn't do it. He knew that they wouldn't keep their vow, even though they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient. God knew that they wouldn't. So why did God give them all these laws? Why did God say, if you will obey all my laws and all my commands, I will bless you? You and I can't keep the Ten Commandments. You and I can't offer God perfect obedience. So so why then does God want you and I to come face to face with the full demands of his law? Well, here's the answer, part of the answer the catechism gives. So that all our life long we may more and more come to know our sinful nature and more eagerly seek the forgiveness of our sins and righteousness in Christ. Brothers and sisters, that's the importance of the Mosaic Covenant for us. When when you're reading through the, the Pentateuch, when you're reading through Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and you're bogged down in all these details and all these laws and all these commands and you go, why are they here? They're here to remind you that you need Jesus. They're here to show you, just like they were there to show Israel, that they could not do it. And, and then, once we despair of ourselves, and once we all get to that point, and, and I pray that all of you have come to that point, once you get to that point where you say, Lord, I can't do it, we are then led to Jesus. And in Jesus, we find the perfect righteousness that God demands. At the beginning of the sermon, I I said to you that when you understand the Mosaic Covenant, the gospel really comes alive. When, When you and I understand what God requires, when you and I understand that God doesn't grade on a curve and he's not he's not just asking you to get 65% on the test. When you understand that that God says do all of my law. Obey all of my commands. And and when you and I realize that that we are so short of that. We then look to Jesus. And we recognize that while we didn't do it, he did it for us. He kept every single one of God's commands. And through faith in him, his perfect righteousness is credited to you. And and the catechism says, in the Heidelberg Catechism, it's question answer 60, and I've quoted this to you before, but this is my favorite, favorite section of the catechism. It says that, that for the Christian... For you, believer in Christ, God now views you in the same way he views Jesus. He views you as if you had never sinned and as if you had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for you. That's, that's mind-blowing. Jesus, that God would look at me rotten sinner that I am and he would see Jesus and so again when when you're tempted to get bogged down in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy 
Remember who kept all of those for you. And remember that through faith in him, that perfect obedience has been credited to you. The Mosaic Covenant is a wonderful reminder to us tonight of our Savior and what he did for us so that we would live. Let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you for this covenant. Thank you for your instruction and your word. Thank you that we, we can see here how this drives us to Christ. Lord, we are not left in despair. We are not left in our sin. We are taken to the cross, and it is there where Jesus paid for all of our sins. And in his life, he kept all of your commands. Lord, how we thank you, how we praise you, that not only have all of our sins been washed away, but Christ's perfect holiness and obedience has been credited to our accounts. And because of that, you tell us in the Bible that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Lord, help us to live in the joy of our salvation. Help us to rejoice in these doctrines that that we hold so dearly. Help us not to see these, Lord, as, as some mere academic exercise, but may we find comfort and joy and peace in these. And may we be used by you to take this good news This good news of one who lived and died and rose for all who would believe in him into this dark world. Help us, Lord, to do it in your strength and for your glory. We pray in Christ's name.